Mike, what are we talking about in today's episode of Moving the Goalposts? Today, we react to the Celtics front office and head coaching moves, as well as touch on the Patriots missing out on Julio Jones. You know, we were so happy last week to talk about the Bruins. Everything was going mm-hmm. great. They were winning games, and, and now the butthole is getting a little bit tighter because the series is tied up at two apiece, and we've got Game 5 back in Boston tonight. Certainly. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, and tell a friend. Moving the goalposts wherever you listen. You ready? 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 One, two, three, five! What's up, everybody? Welcome to Moving the Goalpost, New England's number one sports podcast. My name is Nick Marr, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Masala. Mike, how are you now? I'm doing well, brother. How are you? Not so bad. You can check out our social media profiles on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Nick Marr 94 Mike, where can the listeners reach you? Find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Masala or on Instagram at Mike Masala NFL. Be sure to follow along with us on our Moving the Goalpost social media. They can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Moving the Posts. That was like half and half with a script. You know, the fact that you're able to do it at all is really <laughs> impressive. Like even even like the two words I have to say in the uh, the intro that everybody hears, I have to read that every time. So it's it, it's it's more about consistency than than quality for me. Mm-hmm. I guess they could kind of go hand in hand, but yeah, definitely want to make sure that the introduction is 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 fire. Yeah. And, and we have that new introduction song that maybe we'll be featuring. <laughs> I, I forgot about that. Yes, we do. That would be a great, a great way to start the week. I know I'd have to look it up. But anyway, Mike, we've uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, it's been a long week in the city of Boston for for many a fan, many, uh, many a Celtics fan. And that's I think where we're going to start off today is uh, is with the Boston Celtics. Last week, of course, they got knocked out in the first round by the, the Brooklyn Nets in five games, which was probably one game longer than most people were anticipating. And uh, they decided to make some moves pretty quickly after the season ended. Yeah. Uh, essentially, I don't know what, what your thoughts are on it, but firing Danny Ainge and promoting slash firing Brad Stevens from head coach. <laughs> like it, it's a weird situation, but, uh, but we are going to have some, some front office moves with the Boston Celtics, some, some fireworks to start off the off season. But what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was clear that they were going to need to make some changes this off season. And the idea of, Danny Ainge, especially after the controversy he kind of got himself wrapped into in the past few weeks um, surrounding like race issues in Boston. And then that interview came out from last year. I don't remember. I don't know if you heard, you saw that one where he, where he basically had said that like NBA athletes are like the last people, NBA athletes and Hollywood people are the last people's opinions I care about on world issues. And that's just not a good look when you are involved with NBA athletes every day. <laughs> so, sure. um, 
yeah, like it was it was clear they needed to make a change, and now you're able to keep your boy genius head coach in in your organization. Um, and you can find a guy who can perhaps be a leader for this group and and maybe uh, get the team to perform to the level that they have the potential of performing to. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more moves to, to come in the future. It's I think the real question for me is like whether or not Danny Ainge was really gung-ho about this move like they've kind of portrayed him to be like they've they've kind of let it to be like this is this was Danny's decision he was ready to move on to step down and be with his family he's had some health issues in the past wants to play more golf and like is that really what happened I mean look he's I think he's like 62 years old and he's had multiple heart attacks so his his health is definitely something that he wants to pay attention to, and I'm sure his family is telling him to pay attention to. Um, I, I don't think that he's ready to completely hang things up, though. It, it when they asked him, a lot, a lot of, a lot of reporters were asking him, like, "Oh, is this a, a permanent move? Are you done with basketball? Are you going to be sticking around in some other roles? Or are you going elsewhere?" And without answering the questions, he answered the questions. Mm-hmm. So to speak, like it certainly seems like there's a job lined up for him out in Utah where he can go home and well, maybe not go home. I don't even know if he's from Utah, but BYU boy, they'll, they'll welcome him home with open arms right? and just kind of be a little bit more behind the scenes. Now, I don't really know what Ainge's job responsibilities were, why his life would have been so stressful because one of the things that a lot of people were talking about with Brad Stevens making this move from coaching to taking over as president of basketball operations is that, well, he'll be able to spend more time at home. He'll be able to spend more time watching his kid play high school basketball. He's not going to be, you know, traveling and coaching and doing the daily grind and what like, but isn't that the reason that Danny Ainge quit it? So is this, does this job have a lot of requirements or is it easy to do? And I guess if you're coming from head coach of the Boston Celtics and moving into the front office, maybe it's a little bit less of a work role, but I'm not buying the, uh, the idea that they gave Stevens this promotion for any reason other than they signed him to a contract extension in the bubble last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a very weird timing. We had said that at the time that it was, uh, I don't know, your your coach hadn't really won anything, hadn't really improved all that much, despite your your level of talent going up. And it was it was a weird weird timing. I do think they like obviously they like Brad Stevens, and I think maybe maybe he would have been in the consideration, but not given the job right away. I, I think like they probably would have done a coaching search if they didn't have him under contract already or uh, a G- GM head of basketball operations, whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. uh, search um, and Stevens would have been involved, but yeah, it, it, it is a little bit of, I mean, that Wednesday, I think Wednesday when this all came out was just a whirlwind of news, like right one after another, after another, like this is what's happening. Ainge is stepping down. Brad Stevens is going in. They're new. There's a new head coach search going on. These are the potential names, like all right away. <laughs> it really, it, it really did happen. Like they, they didn't announce the news in a press release. It was like they leaked out that Danny Ainge was thinking about stepping away, and then it was Danny Ainge is stepping away, and then it was Brad Stevens is going to take over, and then it was they're going to hire a coach. 
uh, do conduct a search. And then within like three hours, they had a press conference. Right. It's like, and that was another thing that brought up a lot of conversation last week among fans was how long in the works was this? Because if this was just like, a, we're going to lose this first round series and uh, as soon as it's over, we're going to, to tell everybody what's going on doesn't really give you a lot of confidence in their preparation or, or what I'm thinking their preparation was for the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, this is just a total lost year for the Celtics. And, and now you have damage control that you need to, right. to, to take care of. Um, of the two roles, president of basketball operations, GM, whatever you want to call it again, or head coach, which one do you think is more difficult to do like you would need more experience with because when brad came in he didn't have any experience as an nba head coach and now he has no experience as an nba front office guy or an nba executive mm -hmm. so i'd be curious to know what you think is the the actual more difficult job to do i would i would say it's probably front office um, just that that seems to be a thing where you're interworking with with the rest of the league so much more. And once you've been like an assistant coach, you probably have uh, a good amount of knowledge of what's going on for the head coach. And it seems like most of those situations keep coming back. Uh, and if you're a head coach, you get a thousand chances, apparently, in the yeah. NBA, because like I, I was doing some some looks at. um I think it was Nate McMillan or uh, Lloyd Pierce. It was one of those guys I was doing some some looks at, and they had had like five head coaching opportunities since 2000. It's like yeah. you're just ready to retread all these guys. But I, I do think that it does take a little bit more. Like I don't know, I don't know if Brad's going to be successful right away. I, I do believe in the fact that he's a solid basketball mind, can like is good for this job. But I don't know. I don't know if he's qualified just yet and has that that uh, game game changing move in him right well, now. Well, well, and that and that's that's kind of my concern is if we look at the job that Ainge did over the last eighteen years since he was given the the title. Yes, he was able to build a team that won a championship and went to another. And you could say that he expedited the rebuild process by getting rid of old assets that really didn't have much left in them mm -hmm. and turned it into a pair of all-stars. And, you know, I, I don't want to say potential Hall of Famers, but the way the NBA is. It's yeah, like what the bar is. Do, yeah, all you have to do is make the all-star game like a half dozen times and you'll make, make the Hall of Fame. But The expectations for Brad Stevens, I think, are to find the players that Danny Ainge always missed on, mm -hmm. which were those like 14th overall, 21st overall guys in the mid to late first round that for everybody else is just going to be roster fodder. But if you can find one thing that he does well for you and you can pair him with a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown, uh, Again, I think a lot of it is going to do have to do with who they decide to bring in as a coach, but I have more faith that Brad Stevens could do a job like this than he could be an act, a, a head coach in the NBA because the personalities that you deal with 
are so different than they are in college, especially a college like Butler. Like mm-hmm. you're not getting the five-star recruit to come to Butler. You're not sitting across the table with the kid who's going to decide between, uh, you know, UNC and Duke and Kentucky and Kansas and, and all those blue blood, blood schools. You're kind of getting what's left over. Right. So if you now have the opportunity to really approach stars in the NBA either through trade or free agency. It'll be interesting to see what kind of team Brad Stevens can put together. Cause like you said, I think he is a good basketball mind. The coach is going to be a completely different animal. And I think that the number one thing they should do is hire a former player. It doesn't have to be a former Celtic, but say what you will about Kyrie Irving. If there's one thing that he did what in his time in Boston that I think we should all be thankful for it was show everybody how flawed the organization was mm-hmm. how dependent they were on old history that either everybody else doesn't care about or just doesn't matter anymore because you can't rest on your laurels and one of the things that he was always saying was talking about how you know certain coaches in the league or or former players and they understand what current players are going through and vice versa. And they can kind of bounce off of each other. And Brad Stevens wasn't a former player. Uh, You know, there are other candidates out there that are former players that I am not interested at all. I don't know why Jason Kidd's name keeps coming up for coaching opportunities. (laughs) Like, was it you that sent out the tweet and you're like, how many times are we going to do this? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, why do we just keep retreading these same guys? Like, Jason Kidd, Jason Kidd pulled his name out of the Blazers search yesterday because Damian Lillard said that he liked him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what does that even mean? It's like, it's, it's like anti tampering. It's, it's <laughs> the, uh, the equivalent of being selected for a job that you volunteered for and then mm-hmm. showing up and having somebody else do the work for you. It's not really that equivalent, but I couldn't think of another example. That's an awful example. It's nothing like that. But uh, do you have a favorite or a leading candidate that you would want to see Boston bring in to replace Stevens? Yeah, there, there are some guys out there that I'd be interested in. I'd be interested in Chauncey. Um, there have been talks about Jawan Howard. I don't think he's leaving Michigan, but I think that would be an interesting opportunity. And, you know, if Brad is in charge of making these decisions of who the next head coach is and, like, the ownership is really going to let him make that decision, like, if you if you are interested in making that next jump, I think Brad Stevens is the guy to do it. And I think it's going to end up being, like, Becky Hammond or Carol Lawson. Yeah. I, I really do end up thinking it's going to be one of those guys. Well, and, well. Those girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh that but that's the interesting thing so uh elephant in the room especially for a couple of white guys mm-hmm. does boston need to bring someone in that is not along the same lines of same old same old type of management which is we'll just call it what it is do they need to bring in someone that's not another white guy it it definitely seems like that um even if it's 
even if it's somebody who just relates to the player, even if it's a white guy who's a former player, like like you said, like somebody who relates to some of the things that they're going through or some of some of these issues, like you look at look at uh, the Red Sox with Alex Cora. Alex Cora leaves. You have one of your worst seasons in the history of the Red Sox, um, and everybody who is around the Red Sox knows and talks about Alex Cora because he's can speak multiple languages. He relates to the players because he played not too long ago, and he's good at communicating. If you can find somebody who does those relates to the players and can, can communicate well, you're going to you're going to fit in well here in Boston, and I think. As much of a reputation as the city has, I, that's what they need. They need somebody to change the culture and in in the coaching uh, sphere here. Yeah, we we talked about this. And I don't even remember how long ago, but we we've had multiple discussions on why people don't like coming to Boston, and it, we didn't really get into the idea of racism, but. Boston's a boring place to be if you're working from five o'clock at night to 11 o'clock at night. It's like there's Mm -hmm. just not much else to do during the day or afterwards. The city shuts down too early. And look, do I want my star athletes going out and partying until 2, 3 a.m. after games? No, I don't. But I do want them to feel comfortable and enjoy the city that they live in i want them to want to be here i think that's right. that's so important and just to use another cross-sport analogy with with what the bruins have been able to do the culture that they've built up and they've got a lot of really quality guys in the room but they've basically been able to say we have identified who the leaders are on this team who the best players are on this team And no matter how good or how important you think you may be when your contract is up, you're not making more money than Patrice Bergeron, or you're not Mm -hmm. going to be making more money than Charlie McAvoy. And it's just, it's a very simple way of putting things on the table for potential free agents. It's, we want you to come in. We want you to be a part of this, but that's the thing. You're a part of it. You are not going to be the guy and basketball is not like that. Basketball is the type of sport where you need to cater to the players. You need to bring them in and make them feel like it's all about them. I don't know if it's going to be a a big move with, with a head coaching hire, or if there's going to be a big move coming with a a roster shakeup. I mean, they don't really have a lot of salary cap space. Not Mm -hmm. that there's any big, huge free agent out there that would want to come to Boston right now anyway, but there are some players that are rumored to possibly being available, some backcourt players especially that are possibly available. What would you, and I'll just throw two names out there, Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, you're Brad Stevens, and you hire your dream head coach. You know, let's call him Phil Jackson. Who would you want to bring in to help the team get over the hump, but also who would you be willing to get rid of to make that process happen? Yeah, it's tough right now because I, like, I do want to keep Tatum and Brown together because I do think they're, they're obviously very talented Um, and moving off of Kemba's contract is the most important thing, but you're not going to be able to do that in some of these big deals for 
star players. It's going to be like you. It's going to be like the um, the Rams and Lions trade this past year, where you're trading first round picks just to get off of contracts. Um, like I I would think that if you if you were able to keep those two together and bring in a Damian Lillard, like that's a trio that should be successful. And um, obviously, three guys who fit very specific roles. And then obviously with Brad Bradley Beal, you have the connection with Tatum. Apparently they're best friends. So maybe if you're willing to move on from, from Jalen Brown to, to slide him in there, it, it would be tough either way. Like I, like I said, I don't want to move on from either of those guys, but something has to be done. Like you my, have to, you have to make moves. My mindset would be, I want them to build a roster where the other players kind of, they, they, fill other needs like they fill holes yeah mm-hmm. i want them to build off of each other you know i haven't I, i'm not nearly as much of a basketball guy as i am the other three sports but when i watch the celtics play sometimes i do notice that jason tatum and jalen brown don't always coexist very well it just it doesn't seem as though their games are, are built off of one another like we had what three years of Al Horford, who is this, mm-hmm. this guy who was a big played center. He was good defensively, but the number one thing that he really did for you on offense was let other players around him move. Like his, his, his big calling card was the, uh, the high pick and roll or the high screen or something. And because he was such a great passer and look at what like Nikola Jokic is able to do in Denver. I think that's the kind of guy that they really need to go after. They need to find a big that has playmaking ability. Doesn't need to be Anthony Davis, but someone that can move the ball and give you an honest effort defensively. You know, I don't need nine blocks a game out of Robert Williams. I need 15, 20 points a game out of Robert Williams and give me, you know, double digit rebounds and, you know, chip in a little bit offensively with, with some assists. Like you're asking a lot, mm-hmm. but it's kind of, I mean, this team, they just finished as a seven seed and got knocked out in five games. They need a lot. Right. They need yeah. a lot of work. It, it's, it's real tough because the way that the NBA works and in, in, in especially right now where a team can have no superstars, be one of the worst teams in the league and then because you're A, in New York, and B, a, a team with a lot of money, you can immediately become a, a top team in the league, exactly what the Nets just did. And they, it, It's tough to compete with that when you're trying to build it like more of a traditional style like the Celtics have been over the past 10 years now. Um, but like I, I just don't know. Like, Do you trade Marcus Smart this offseason? Yeah, I don't have any problem trading him. I, I just I I think that Marcus Smart is a very good player on a team where he doesn't need to be one of the top four or five guys. Okay. So yeah. basically a sixth man. Like Marcus yeah. Smart could be a very good sixth man on a championship basketball team. He could still play 25, 30 minutes a night and still play defense. Hell, I'll even let him still jack up threes. But he's more of a situational type role player than a, 
We're going to get the ball rolling from him right from tip off. And he's going to be our guy because if he does have a cold night and you don't have anybody that you can replace him with mm-hmm. kind of screwed. Right. Yeah. They're, they're in a tough situation right now where moving on from any of these guys is like moving on from um, two of the leaders. Cause right now the, your, your two leaders are Marcus Martin, Jalen Brown. And one of those guys seems like they're going to be moved this off season. And, that's just going to change the dynamic of your team. And now it may change it for the better or it may change it for the worse. And I guess we'll have to like wait and look at that um, down the road, but they, they clearly do need to make some changes. I had said last off season that I wanted them to acquire a center, um, which seems to be what you're interested in. And again, this off season, I thought Tristan Thompson was going to be uh, better than he was just flat out better than he was this year. And he uh, certainly wasn't until like the last game of the playoffs, the last couple games. Um, yeah, he's I, it, saving up all his energy for the postseason. Yeah, uh, saving up all the time from when him and Kemba go out with with the uh, Kardashians over the weekend. Um, yeah, it, it's just they they need to make a lot of changes, and I just don't know if they can add to this team and be able to compete with the Nets. Like that's it's just a flat out problem that everybody had with the Heat and LeBron, the Le- LeBron's Heat, and now Brooklyn, and it's almost like it's. Uh, you have to wait for them to all fall apart. Kind of like if we watched in the 80s, it was Michael Michael Jordan just waiting for the Celtics and the Lakers to finally stop being dominant. And then, then he was able to shoot right up. And it, it almost feels like, and obviously no one on this team is Michael Jordan. I'll cut that right out. But like, it almost feels like it's a waiting game of waiting for these super teams to kind of die out. Which that's sort of the way the NBA has been really for the last 15 years, like ever since LeBron came in and you got past that first wave of Lakers championships. And then you started moving into the like San Antonio Spurs, but they never won back to back. Mm -hmm. There was, there was always, you know, the possibility of any team winning a championship, not any team, but more than three or four. Right. This is going to be the first year in, I think, 11 finals where we're not going to get uh, LeBron James or Stephen Curry on a team. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, I think it's like at this point, it's a coronation for the for the Brooklyn Nets. Like nobody should beat them. Nobody should beat them. There's I don't see anyone from the West who's going to beat really any of the top three teams in the East. Cause I could still see Milwaukee if they get past Brooklyn being a very difficult out. And then Philadelphia has got a roster and a, a culture now where things are just clicking on all cylinders. I mean, they did lose game one to Atlanta yesterday, but Joel Embiid had like torn cartilage in his knee and he still mm-hmm. dropped 39 points. I mean, that guy's an animal. I'll tell you what, Last night I was thinking to myself, if you go back to that draft in 2014, when LeBron left Miami to come to Cleveland and they had the first overall pick, if the Cavaliers had actually decided to select Joel Embiid instead of Andrew Wiggins and then trade Wiggins to Minnesota for Kevin Love. Now again, Embiid missed the first couple of years, but could you imagine a team with like Joel Embiid, Kyrie Irving, and LeBron James? 
and Kyrie Irving and Joel Embiid are like in their early to mid twenties and LeBron's just like, yeah, dodged a bullet with that one for sure. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be more big changes, I think for, for the C's come the off season. I think the expectation for them though, should be that one year from now when the playoffs come back, Mm -hmm. they have to have home court in the first round. That's where they should be. They should be a top four team in the East, my opinion. Right. Yeah, that that's where I mean they shouldn't be falling behind some of these lesser teams. Like they they shouldn't have been as low as they were this year. And obviously, um, some injuries and uh obviously a couple of your guys dealt with uh COVID throughout the season. So I, I do think they're better than they were record wise, but uh yeah, you you do need to you do need to be in that top four conversation. Changes are coming. Changes were kind of coming. The rumors that the Patriots were going to be in on Julio Jones, that didn't happen. He ends up going to Tennessee. What was it? What did he go for? A second round pick next year and then a fourth round pick in, in yep. 2023. It was Julio and a sixth for a second and a fourth. Does not seem like a lot to give up. Uh, if you've got the salary cap space to make it work, because I think he is making like $15 million a year over the next couple of seasons. But there was an opportunity for New England to get a superstar receiver uh, to help out probably the weakest part of their entire team, not just their offense, the whole team, which is the mm-hmm. receiving core. And he didn't really have to give up a lot. Was this a a missed opportunity for the Patriots? In my mind, it was. And there's going to be a lot of questions on would it have really helped your team if Cam Newton's the starting quarterback come the beginning of the year? And I do get that. But if you are of the mindset that Mac Jones is going to be the starter sooner rather than later, having a legitimate number one wide receiver uh, definitely would have helped, I would assume. Uh, most quarterbacks in the league. Um, It's just at the point where Julio Jones would be coming in for 15 this year and 11 and a half the next two years. And that is not crazy. Like, let's just, let's just, let's just call it what it is. 11 and a half million dollars. Like the Patriots are paying Nelson Aguilar like 10 million. So like, are you going to pay like a million more? It's like, all I'm going to say is just because you're overpaying for a bad receiver doesn't mean that spending more on a good receiver is a smart thing to do. No, no, it's, it's not. But what, what I would say is Julio Jones is still productive. He yes. had one injury and that's the only thing that people are going or are thinking about right now is his injury. And he's 32. Let, let's just call it what it is. Julio Jones is still one of the best wide receivers in football. If he's healthy, like he's still, he's still one of those top guys. $11 million isn't going to, isn't going to break the bank. $11 million, <clears throat> his salary next year, and obviously people are going to get paid in during that time in between this year and next year would put him uh, just below Curtis Samuel and above DJ Moore as far as, um, contracts there's a lot of really overpaid receivers in this league then (laughs) like that's my opinion yeah like you're you're paying him just a little bit more than tyler lockett and a little less than robert woods like all of these like the all of these names wide receiver market is crazy that's the thing is like 
teams are paying guys $25 million. DeAndre Hopkins' cap number next year is $25 million at wide receiver. So you just have to start realizing that this is the NFL. We're going to have to start paying guys what people in the league are paying them. You can't just keep going off. And this is what I really harped on yesterday is now it's year two without Brady. So this is your second year without the greatest quarterback of all time. And you have refused to get a number one wide receiver both of those years. Now it's only a small sample size. It's two years. And technically we haven't even started the second year yet. So who knows what could happen? There could be another Antonio Brown-like trade in the middle of the offseason or right before the season starts. But you are not setting your quarterback up for the most success, especially a rookie or a guy who can't throw in Cam Newton. I agree. I absolutely agree. The flip side of that is they did acquire a handful of pass catchers in the offseason via free agency. You know, they, they signed Johnu Smith. They signed Hunter Henry at tight end. They signed Kendrick Bourne. They signed Nelson Aguilar. They improved the roster from last year. Um, you still don't have a number one receiver, though. I think it's great that you've got two number one quality tight ends, but I'll be the first one to admit Hunter Henry was probably a day two signing because he's got an injury history and you just dealt with a tight end for a decade who had an injury history where every single time the guy got hit below the hip, you thought he wasn't going to get up off the field. So are you going to put all your eggs into one basket and hope that the guys just stay healthy? I think depth is what this team really needs. Having a deep roster where you can just bring the next man up. That's where they're going to benefit the most from. That's why I'm not super concerned that they didn't get Julio Jones. The number one reason that I, I would have wanted Julio on the team was because it does slot Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne into better roles for them. Right. You know, they're going to be seeing more single coverage. And if Aguilar is going to be your, your burner down the field and he's getting single high safety and that safety is really just going to be shadowing whichever side of the field Julio Jones is. And I can go one-on-one -on -one outside the numbers. I think even Cam Newton can make that throw. Right. And if you, if you think about, say you run a five, you have, you have five pass catchers on the field and you run a, you run a, a formation that has Julio Jones, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Hunter Henry, and John U. Smith. Yeah. Someone's, <laughs> someone's going to be open. Like, and yeah. that's a pretty good situation to put yourself in. And instead you now kick off Julio Jones and you have like Jacoby who I like Jacoby, but like we all know what he is in this league. He's right. a decent third wide receiver, and that's that's pretty much where he is. Um, the the sad the annoying part is is like your wide receiver one and wide receiver two are like wide receiver twos and wide receiver threes on most other teams. So it's it, to me it's just not taking advantage of a team who was willing to give up a potential like franchise wide receiver for. Not all that much, especially when you consistently miss on second round picks. <laughs> um, yeah. It, and the, the money, like I, I, I just pulled up Nelson Aguilar's contract. Nelson Aguilar next year is making $15 million on the cap. Like, yeah, but that's not how much money he's getting paid. 
he's getting paid nine million and he's getting five million from a from his bonus. Which he probably already got that. Right. But he's counting against the cap fifteen and Julio Jones counting against the cap eleven. Well, didn't like three years ago Tom Brady count against the cap for like a million dollars? Right. So like the cap can be the cap can be manipulated, and it all depends on yeah. how, how you re-sign guys to push the uh, signing bonus further down the year, which is why Tom Brady last year counted for like twenty million of the salary cap right. when he wasn't even on the team. So like they can do a bunch of different things, but the fact is, is Julio Jones wasn't going to wasn't going to ruin your cap structure, especially when they've already dis- they've already said the salary cap is going up at least ten million dollars next year. So. That that bump right there almost covers all of Julio Jones for one year, and you just have to make it work for this year. Okay, and you have fifteen million dollars in cap space this year already. Yeah, no, I think they they could have made the money work. They easily could have made the money work. That that wasn't a question. And again, saying that giving up a second round and a fourth round pick for for Julio Jones is a lot. I I just disagree with that. They gave up a second round pick for Mohamed Sanu. Right. Like you traded almost the exact same thing to the exact same team for a player that is not even half as good, mm-hmm. never has been half as good. So I think it really just comes down to how much they value that position. Because another thing that I heard, like this theory of the wide receiver in football, that is the one position where you are dependent on everybody else doing their job before you even have the opportunity to do yours because the offensive line has to block and the quarterback's got to make the right read. And then he's got to throw the ball in an area where you can actually catch it. And then you have to hope that the other receivers have run their route properly so that, you know, you can find the soft spot in the zones and it's like all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe why new England has never really looked into wide receivers as being the, the end-all be-all to an offense. I also think on the other side of the ball defensively, Stefan Gilmore still doesn't have a new contract. And I know that they've, they're like in OTAs and they're in between phases or something right now. I don't think he's gone to camp yet. Like no. I don't think he's shown up and I don't think no. he's going to show up unless he's going to be making more than seven and a half million dollars. So if you can restructure Gilmore and keep him for a couple more seasons at the cost of not getting Julio Jones, I would, I would still say that's probably a, a net benefit at the end of the day. Right. And, and that is something I'd be completely fine with. If they went out and they said, Hey, listen, we want to spend this money on Stefan Gilmore completely fine with me. And this is obviously because it hasn't happened yet. That's, that's my reaction right now is, is this, this move is hurting you more than it's, than it's helping you at this exact moment in time. There's also like reports of, I mean, your guy, Spike King yeah. has been talking all, all about how Hightower's not coming back, despite the fact that his wife just keeps like laughing at him. On I did, yes, I did <laughs> see that one. And he's, he's sticking to his guns. I'll give him that. He's sticking like, to his guns. Yeah. He's like, Oh, I've, I've talked to the people on the inner circle. How much more inner circle do you get than the wife? I, I mean, like, <laughs> Yeah, it, it really doesn't. You don't get much more inside than the wife. 
Yeah. But like they they have they have a lot of things that they have to address, and I I get that. But it's just you know, like I said, it's just disappointing that this is the second year without Brady, and it's the second year you've refused to get a wide receiver one. Um, it just doesn't put your team in the best situation. Like when when Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar are getting completely shut down and get no separation, and they're going to be blamed because the Patriots like that they're just not good enough. Like, no, it's because they're second and third wide receivers and you're making them play out of position, basically. Like, that, that is what we're looking at. Like, we're, it's not their fault that they're not at this level when you paid them to be at this level. Was it – what's the guy's name? Ramondre Stevenson? Is that the running back that they drafted mm-hmm. this year? So that, there, there's another idea that they've got a very, very deep running back room mm-hmm. and – Maybe they're not going to be handing the ball off 40 times a game, but there could be an idea of this is still going to be a run first offense. This is going to be an offense where we're going to try and control the clock and, and not turn the ball over. And the closer we can keep it to inside the numbers and, and between the hashes, maybe the better because Cam Newton as bad as he was last year, if he's a sliver better this year, it's it's not going to be leaps and bounds. He's, you're not slinging the ball all over the field. Mm-hmm. And I also don't think that Belichick is going to let a rookie sling the ball all over the field as well. So coming in with something that's a little bit more conservative, again, do you need Julio Jones in an offense if your plan is to hand the ball off, throw to tight ends, and then occasionally – you know, if there's a, a matchup that you like, toss it outside to, to Bourne or Aguilar. Um, I just, it, it sucks that it seems once again that they do nothing though. That's, that's the part that frustrates me. Mm-hmm. I'm fine that they didn't get the player. I'm aggravated that it seems like they didn't need, they, I get the feeling they think they didn't need the player. Right. And, and that just seems to be a, another thing in the long line of these discussions. Like there was a big thing made out um, this past year about how Belichick and I don't know if it's Belichick and McDaniels, but at least Belichick believes that uh, they could win with a quarterback who's the top 15 quarterback or a top 20 quarterback. They don't need a, a great guy. Like I, I get it, Bill. I get it. Best coach of all time at least in the top three if you're having the discussion. I get it. You do a lot of great work. Big fan, big fan of your work. But let's call it what it is. Like, you need a good quarterback. It wasn't yeah. all just you, and we all know that. Like, even somewhere deep down, I think he probably knows that, even if he hates to admit it. The the 2009 special that they did for his football life, at the very end, when he says that his high school coach told him, and there's a lot of truth in it, when it comes to the games, players win them and coaches lose them. It is the most hypocritical statement he has ever made. Mm-hmm. Unless he really does believe that and his actions just don't show it. Right. Because he, he does. He, like, he walks around and he has treated this roster over the last couple of seasons as though it really doesn't matter who's on the team. It doesn't. As long as I've got guys that buy into the system and are willing to sacrifice, which are, is really important. You need guys on your football team to do that. Mm-hmm. But they also need to be talented. They need to be both. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
how many months away are we from kickoff? What is it? September 16th, they open the season. It's late this year. It's, I think it is late this year. Yeah. So just over three. Yeah. So it's, it's coming up though. I was, I was talking with, with me and a couple of weeks ago about how, when the weather starts getting a little cold and it's fucking hot as balls out right now. Oh yeah. I don't know if you can tell, but I am lobster red right now. Like, the, the camera is not doing me justice No, um, because I am in a lot of pain. Were you outside? I would assume. Yeah, yeah. I was by the pool all day yesterday, and buddy, that's, it was a it was a rough sleep last night. That's what well, that's what I need. <laughs> Funny, quick story, <laughs> not not a story about May, actually. Well, I'll say it anyway. If Ganey Malkin one time had to miss a game because he got too bad of a sunburn, <laughs> couldn't put his shoulder pads on. That you know, if there's a, like you might say that you can't relate to athletes. That's the most relatable thing of all time. Yeah, that's, that's very true. <laughs> uh, the last time I got sunburned, I think was was probably about five years ago. It was like it was one of those face burns where it's like mm-hmm. on your nose and then it starts peeling and you just and then it's like cracking and. Ugh. I I, I, just, I I never learn my lesson. I do this every year. I get super burnt the first like real nice day, and then. Uh, you know, eventually it will turn over to a tan and then I'm fine. The idea is that sunburns turn to tans unless you're me. You go from white to red (laughs) back to white. You know, they say uh, that beauty uh, takes pain. Uh, You know, it it is very true for me. I thought you were going to say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. (laughs) That too. (laughs) Mike, the, uh, the Bruins found themselves in a little bit of a predicament on Saturday night. With, certainly did yeah I, it's the worst game they've played all series all, all, oh, yeah. all series all playoff season they deserved to lose that game i think six to one they lost it four to one because they allowed two empty net goals so it's mm-hmm. not really indicative of how the game went but it was awful it was absolutely awful just didn't really seem like there was a lot of jump from the get-go uh the boys were not buzzing Certainly. Not winning races to pucks, not winning battles for pucks. Uh, the Pasternak open net miss was so deflating for me, not just because he missed the net where it hits the post. It's that he like goes down to the ice and starts crying and the puck is loose in the crease. Like mm-hmm. keep playing guy, keep playing. Yeah. You gotta, you know, till the whistle blows. That's what they teach you in peewees. It's a 2-2 series. They're shifting back to Boston for game five. I don't remember if we talked about lineup changes or anything, but Cassidy's got to do something now. Like Cassidy's got to make some lineup changes at this point because if you're going to be sending out a third line of Charlie Coyle, who's been more effective than his line mates, Jake DeBrusque and, and, and Nick Ritchie. I was going to say Brett Ritchie, but that's his brother. <laughs> Nick Ritchie, just as useless, more useless, actually. Can we get Trent Frederick in here? Like, what what is it that he doesn't do that you need him to do to justify keeping him out of the lineup in the playoffs? Right, especially after this past game where you've seen, I mean, the same guys, your, your DeBrusques, your Richies, just not live up to the expectations Cassidy's been very good this year at pushing the right buttons on Jake DeBrusque, and maybe it's sitting him down that lights a fire under him again. 
worst case scenario, you have Trent Frederick in and you have the exact same performance as Jake DeBrusque's had this this series. Yeah. It's it's like you you have you do have to do something. And what uh, like you can't put all of it on the effort of the team. I do I do think that they didn't go all out like you like you said they they were losing races to the puck. This team for some reason allows people into the offensive zone easier than any team I've ever watched play. Like every time in every game, we always talk about uh, during these recaps, how tough it is to, to enter, enter into the offensive zone for the Bruins. They let anybody else in so easily. You, you now can, you can see when, when they've got their four check going and it becomes difficult for the other team to break it out. That's, that's when they got their game. That's when mm-hmm. they got their skating legs going and that's when they play their game. But you're, you're right. It was, it was atrocious. The other day. It was every, everybody just walking in, waltzing in, taking it, whatever opportunity they want, either whether dumping it in or throwing it on net, they could do anything that they wanted this past game. And I do think some of it has to do with now you're down two defensemen there was some talk before the last game. I haven't heard Cassidy since then about whether or not Miller and Carlo were going to come back. He had said Carlo was uh, had said Miller was skating, and Carlo was a maybe for this last game. So, so maybe you're thinking that you can get at least one of these guys back in in Monday night's matchup. Uh, they they need help because more time for Lausanne on the ice is not helping anybody. Um, Tenorti looked okay, um, but yeah, you're seeing some of the problems that the that we thought about the Bruins heading into the season. It was their defensive depth, and when you suffer two injuries in one round, it's it clearly uh, yeah. will clearly show. Yeah, it's kind of like the receiving core with the Patriots. It's once you, it's not that you don't have enough, mm-hmm. so to speak. It's that once you lose what you have at the top everything else is trash, right? Everything else is trash. And I think defensively, the Bruins have done an okay job without Kevin Miller and Brandon Carlo, at least in, in the last game, I think they did an okay job. Tuka Rask is standing on his head. Oh, He's yeah. been fantastic. And once again, we're, we're going to find ourselves in a situation where he plays well in games that the team doesn't, I likened at the end of the last game, I likened it to the starting pitcher that goes seven innings and allows two runs with 10 strikeouts and loses the game two to one. Tiki did all he could, all he could. Did he make a couple of mistakes? Fine. Maybe he walked a guy and then he made one bad pitch and he took it over the wall for a two run homer. And that's the only mistake. That's basically what Tuka Rask has been the last couple of games. If he makes one minor mistake and he's not perfect, the team just doesn't rally around him. And they've scored three goals in the last two games. Right. In the last seven periods, they've scored three goals. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. I've seen the uh, – when they made the switch over to – uh, the island for games three and four, and, and you lose that ability to have last change. Mm-hmm. That the Islanders have kind of been putting the Pajot line up against the Bergeron line, and that's been been sort of neutralizing the Bergeron line's offense. And they're capitalizing D 
defensively. I don't understand how a guy like Patrice Bergeron gets tossed out of so many face-offs. Like, really yeah, he, especially I, recently. I get it. The guy, like, he's cheating. And because that's how you win face-offs in hockey is like, you have to cheat. But I think I know the rules. They'll literally, like, they'll toss him out after he, like, puts his hands on his hips. And then he'll, like, lean over and they're like, nope, get out. It's like, what is he doing wrong? What, what is the rule that I'm missing? It starts with possession, though. If, if, if the Bruins can figure out a way to, to get to the pucks and keep the pucks and, and establish some zone time, uh, I think Taylor Hall actually played a pretty good game despite mm-hmm. not getting on the score sheet. He's been, he's been pretty good. He got into a fight, his first fight since 2011, which I was shocked to see that. They went the second he started uh, started throwing punches. I was like, you know, Taylor Hall, not a known fighter in in my mind for somebody who doesn't watch hockey at all. Like, right. Or <laughs> like other than the Bruins, like it. I, I knew that he didn't fight, and I didn't know it had been that long. And it looked like it had been that long because yeah, <laughs> his was, punches were horrendous. It, it was not not much of a fight. And then even the Tenorti fight afterwards was kind of a, a lame fight as well. Yeah. But they were. Temp- temperature was was boiling and it seemed like the kettle finally blew and is that a phrase kettle blew, i don't, I don't you know? think it is but it should be the, the kettle what does a tea kettle do like uh, I think sings whistles. chirps whistles whistles yeah <laughs> but like there's so much water in this tea kettle that it's blown the top off mm-hmm. it's it's not only whistling and steaming but the top has just been blown off from the gash ex- exchange from boiled water evaporating. Um, the, the game started off okay. Like, all right, we, we get first goal. Krejci finally gets on the scoreboard with a power play goal. The Islanders decide to challenge. Dumbass challenge. Mm-hmm. Not like there was nothing there. I, in real time, I didn't think there was anything there. Right. And then Boston doesn't get a shot on that on the the ensuing power play from the the missed challenge. And then they started to kind of snowball and make more mistakes. And the Islanders got on the scoreboard. And I think for tonight's game, they got to get out to an early lead. I think they have to get out to an, a big lead early. I mean, if you can get a couple of goals in the first period, five on five goals, I think you're in good shape. I think if you can get some production out of your bottom six forwards or defensemen, then you're in really good shape. Mm-hmm. Give me a game where the top six forwards don't get a point. I'll take it. I'll take it. I will take it. If it means that you win the game, like two to one or, or one, nothing or something like that, give me, and then I'll take the blowout win in game six. Right. That's all. I <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I won't ask for much. Just give, give me uh, some great play from my bottom six often uh, 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 forwards. And then just let me, let me absolutely dominate for a chance to move on. Yeah. Real quick. Can we talk about the Montreal Canadians? I, sure. I know you're probably not watching that series very closely. I, I have watched some highlights. I have not watched any of the full games. The hockey up in Canada right now is terrible, especially when you get to watch like Colorado and Vegas afterwards. But mm-hmm. are the Montreal Canadiens going to make it to the Stanley Cup? 
Like <laughs> this fucking team that finished with like 59 points. Like I, I, they may have been under 500. That division was so bad that they sent a team in there that is like, they're the 16th team. They have to be, they have mm-hmm. to be. And they're on the verge of sweeping Winnipeg who just swept Edmonton. They just took three straight from Toronto in the first, like there is no team hotter than the Montreal Canadians right now. And right. it's sickening. <laughs> you know, with any luck, if, if us Boston fans have earned any, uh, points with the big man upstairs and we certainly haven't but if we have uh the canadians winning and then uh canada not being able to send any teams to the united states to play because of covid restrictions would be icing on it would they did (laughs) and it took them until yesterday to come up with a decision but they they the canadian government is allowing for travel between the countries for the final Mm -hmm. two rounds but the way that they're doing it is when you're the American team and you come into Canada to, to play and you're sticking, you're, you're staying there, you have to quarantine and be in a bubble in a team hotel like it was for last year's playoffs. So you're basically letting, you're, you're letting them come into the country, but you're not letting them do anything else. Right. You, you go to the hotel, you go to the rink, you play the game, you go back to the hotel, you stay in your room, and that's it. Hopefully it's only for two games. Hopefully whoever comes out of the North doesn't even make it to the cup final. Uh, and you, you don't have to worry about that problem, but that, that would be nice. But that's, uh, that's obviously something that the Bruins uh, won't have to worry about until it would be the Stanley cup final, because the way that the, the bracket works out is they're, they're going to play the winner of the Tampa Bay Carolina series. The, the either New York or Boston is going to play that winner. Um, and Tampa Bay is a fucking horse again. Well, this is the thing is like right now, we and we've said it in the last few episodes like, yes, that there's no team hotter than Montreal, but are there two better teams than Tampa Bay and Colorado? Like, there can't be, there can't be when those teams are filing on all cylinders, they're so deep, they're so big, they're so talented, they've got good enough goaltending. I did not realize how good Philip Grubauer has been. Like mm-hmm. Colorado's getting solid goaltending and, and Vasilevsky obviously is a Vesna winner, Vesna candidate. He's, he's going to do a tremendous job. As good as I felt about the Bruins a week ago, I'm not super confident in their ability to, to take the series. Now it's a best of three. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to lose what would be three consecutive games if they get knocked out in six. So I do think it's going to go at least seven, but uh, too many times I've seen this team lose game sevens at home. Too many times. It's a tortured fan in you right there. A tortured fan base. I know. Um, we, we Talk positive things. Say positive things to me. Um, Tuka Rask is really damn good, man. He has been very good. <laughs> He's been very good. He's fighting through injury. He's gotten it out. He's given his team chance to win every single night. All you got to do is put the puck in the net. And, hey, whether you want to call it a three-goal loss or a one-goal loss or a ten-goal loss, they all count the same. Mm-hmm. And you just got to put it behind you. It's a best-of-three series. You've got two games at home. Take care of business tonight. Worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Yep, just ride the your goalie that is statistically the best goalie in playoff history. 
Is that bug inside my window or outside my window? <laughs> outside. It's Thank like you. a, it, it is a, I think that's a female ant. I thought it was a fly, it's an ant. On today's moving to go post. <laughs> in, in, insect anatomy. <laughs> I, I didn't tell the story. My grandmother, bless her soul, uh, was in her closet looking at like dresses or something. And there was a bug that had died and was like on the shoulder and she didn't know what it was. So she put it in a plastic bag and she like then put that bag inside her purse. And then she was carrying her purse around showing people the dead bug trying to find out what it was. <laughs> it's like old people, man. <laughs> Yeah, that that is something that uh, people in our generation would absolutely never do. You uh, you would take it off and throw in the trash. Yeah, but 50, 60 years from now, who knows what we're going to be doing with, with True. dead bugs. Yeah, uh, I don't even want to think about it. I, I, don't, I don't either. Mike, uh, I, I think we're at the end of another episode, episode 45. This is now two weeks in a row wow. that I remembered the episode number. But I really remembered the episode number because we recorded, quote unquote, <laughs> 45 and a half on the weekend. In yes. But, uh, but yeah, is there anything that, uh, that you're looking forward to this week, sports related, not sports related? Do you happen to have a final blow? Um, you know, we, we had been talking about Invincible the last few weeks. I, I had told you, I believe, Yes, or Saturday when I had seen you in person. The first time we had met in person, first which time. was which is pretty crazy. It is. We've been doing this for almost a year, and that was the first time we've met in person. Um, that I had <laughs> that I had absolutely blasted through Invincible. I have one episode left um, that I am saving to watch today. I will watch that before the Bruins game happens. I am very excited, very very scared, but it has been a very solid show so far. Well, we we are planning an invincible podcast. I want to get, you know, everybody who's watched the series because having one episode left now, I feel like I can say a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Uh spoilers. No, I'm not spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Invincible. I'm not I'm not going to get into that, but there's so much that you can talk about. It's not one of these shows where it's just you know, the story happens and you go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Right. And they leave the season on enough of a cliffhanger where really anything is possible. No, no. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good though. It's, it's really good. So, so finishing... I'm excited, but also scared then for the, for tonight's episode. It's good. It's very good. Well, I'm halfway done with that video project. I said I was working on last week. Oh yeah. That Bruins hype video. Yep. Now it's now it's starting to turn into like oh shit we're gonna have a game seven and this is just gonna come out the day of game seven, which I'm totally okay with. Right. I think that would be a very good thing. If it just blows up, you just start getting. If you don't have the Bruins guy in there, if you don't have him saying Bruins oh, okay. in the middle of it, yep, it's a missed opportunity. I got a couple <laughs> more likes already this morning on that Instagram post. Of course, of it's, course, it's the funniest thing in the world. It's <laughs> the power of the hashtag. The power of the hashtag, I'm telling it's insane. you. All right, Mike, that's going to do it for another episode of Moving the Goal Posts. Uh, as always, we want to make sure that everyone's following along with us on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nick Mara. Is it Nick Mara 94? 
I just forgot my my social media tag at Nick Mara ninety four. Yep, that's it. Good. I've got so many burner accounts that I was. That's know. true. Uh, uh, I was gonna try to come up with a, a fake name <laughs> for you, but it would it would have it would have gone down a bad road. My well. I, my fantasy football username for the sleeper is a cake eater 99. So I, I did see that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw that's very interesting. So that might be my new pseudo name for, <laughs> for the internet, except now I've just blown up my spot. But anyway, I'm at Nick Mara 94 on Twitter and Instagram. Mike, where can the listeners reach you? You can find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Masala or on Instagram at Mike Masala NFL. Follow along Twitter, Instagram, the Moving the Goalpost podcast pages. They're found at Moving the Posts. Mike, till next time. Later, brother. Peace. Uh-huh.